Hello, everyone, and welcome to New Books in French Studies, discussions with scholars of France and the Francophone world about their new books. I'm your host, Roxanne Panchassi. My guest today is Felicia McCarran, the author of French Moves, The Cultural Politics of Le Hip-Hop, and the book was published by Oxford University Press in 2013. Hi there, Felicia. Hi, Roxanne. Thanks so much for taking the time to speak with me today. I'm really delighted. Could you get us started by telling our listeners a little about yourself and how you came to work on France? Sure. Um, you know, all my degrees are in comparative literature, but French was the language that I learned first in school. And then it was a junior year abroad that really um, made me fall in love with the culture in particular and the importance of culture in that context. And in particular, I would say there's a kind of history of Americans, uh, I would say dancers even, um, women artists, uh, that really inspired me. And it's probably also got something to do with the fact that my father uh, had spent some time in France in, uh, in the Second World War, went in after D-Day. And so there's a bit of that Alice Kaplan uh, French lessons influence there too. Mm-hmm. And what brought you to the subject of this book in particular? Well, the short answer is that um, some sociologists who I knew were working on the hip-hop movement in France And they were experts in certain things, youth culture and transmission and um, work, but they really weren't experts in dance and they needed someone to look at the choreographies and they knew my work and they invited me to join them. And that's what I did around 2000. So you're a dancer, right? Felicia, you have a dance background. Um, And I was really, uh, you know, thinking about this as I was reading the book, how does that shape your work on dance as an author? Right. So in my two previous books on dance, I was really writing dance histories. And I would say that my experience as a dancer, really lifelong experience, starting from childhood, really um, factored into my investment in the topic. But These were histories of dance. And so the performers that I was writing about, you know, are no longer with us, even though for me, to me, they were very much alive. And in this particular project, it was quite different because I'm writing about dancers who are living and working, performing, Mm -hmm. teaching. And so I was able to bring my experience and my interest um, and my ability, really, I was able to bring it to bear um, on the topic Sometimes closeness to your topic is a good thing, right? (laughs) It did allow me in. I took hip-hop dance classes in the suburbs of Paris. I was present at lots of performances and interviewed and talked to teachers, choreographers, dancers. Sometimes that closeness isn't a good thing. So I had to put that ethnography, if you like, that terrain into uh, relief a little bit in the book. So let's start with the topic of dance in general. You mentioned, you know, that you've worked on this for a number of years and written other books on the subject in, in, the, in the French context or also in the broader... Um, yeah, in, yeah. In, very much in the French context. Mm-hmm. You know, Paris is a kind of a dance capital. It has been historically. Mm-hmm. Um, although many of the dancers who have starred there have been from other countries. So I wanted to ask you, you know, about the status of France, of dance in France historically as a kind of symbol or emblem of national culture, if you could say a little bit more about that. You know, I would start first, actually, from today, if I could. It's really amazing to see how important dance, and by that I mean concert dance, dance performance of all different genre, remains important in France. It's really seen as a national cultural product. Um, The Ministry of Culture supports dance at all levels. Um, There's lots of regional and local support. And it tours, you know, representing France in kind of cultural exhibitions around the world. This is also true for le hip-hop, for what's called urban dance in Mm -hmm. France. It became a concert form and it was funded, supported by a socialist minister of culture. And it has become a, a kind of an emblem when I speak to audiences in the U.S., for example, sometimes there are hip hoppers in the audience and they know the French dancers, they know the French teams. In fact, 
they know them sometimes because they were world champion hip hoppers, the French. Mm. So um, it's a, it is very much now seen as a French national product and a cultural product that's really known all over the world. So what does hip hop mean in the French context, right? You've got in the title of the book, you've got le hip hop. Um, and much of the book is about really uh, showing the ways in which hip hop is not the same as hip hop um, in a North American context. So, so what does it mean in, in the French context? Right. So, Roxanne, if I said to you in English, hip hop, what would you think of first? Well, the, the first thing I think of is, is music, right? Absolutely. I mean, it's been the music that has circulated globally. And that is really kind of the basis for what we think of as a broader hip hop culture, right? Which might include, yeah, break dancing, graffiti, mm-hmm. um, you know, certain kinds of practices, maybe battles or DJing parties, that kind of thing. But in France, if you say le hip hop, you really are referring to a dance form and to this very particular dance form that has taken shape now as concert dance. So it is a very different thing. And it's not that it's unrelated to global hip hop or to hip hop music, but it hasn't been primarily influenced by that. That's the argument that I make in the book. Something happened differently in France. It turned out differently. So when it comes to the story that you're telling in the book, what is or what are the connections, if, if there are any, between the sort of um, evolution of le hip-hop in France and right. changes in French music in the same period? So I'm thinking of, you know, French rap or world music. Like, are, Is there a link between those stories? So there's no question that hip-hop came to France from New York, and it came via TV and video, and it came also on the legs of some dancers who came and toured in France in the early 80s. But what happened after that allowed hip-hop dance to have access to other kinds of dance, other kinds of choreography, and mostly to a big stage. One cultural agent who programs hip-hop dance in France likes to say that hip-hop dance in France was protected from this kind of global market or the the global circulation, the kind of glam rock, if you like, Mm -hmm. um, hip hop market that music is very much a part of. And then the second part of the question would be to say that although hip hop music did inspire the hip hop dancing that happened in France, was never the primary soundtrack, if you like, for that dancing. Even very early on, uh, French dancers and choreographers we're moving to other kinds of music. Maybe it was French rap, but it was also music that they were putting together themselves. Mm. It was sometimes classical or world music. Um, and it's come really uh, very far in that regard. We've seen hip hop choreographers collaborate with live orchestras and you know, hip hop dance to Stravinsky, Rite of Spring in 2013. So uh, the, the global hip-hop music scene was not really the prime mover for le hip-hop, for hip-hop dance in France. In the introduction to the book, Felicia, you outlined the study as one exploring the, and I'm quoting you here, the universalism of dance performance in France, dance's civic status, and the socialist choice to use dance as part of a, a cultural politics. So let's just start with this notion of universalism, the universalism of dance performance in France. How are you using that term, universalism, uh, in the book? Well, as you know, Roxanne, universalism is really a key term in France, right? There's an idea of equality that um, comes under the rubric of universalism, right? That, that everyone is the same, that everyone is equal uh, in the republic. And so there's a rhetoric about universalism. And I think dance plays into that really well because it's in itself a kind of a universal form. People often note that because it it isn't a language, it doesn't use words, it can sort of transcend national boundaries, it circulates globally. Um, And, you know, this is certainly true, but 
I also think that dance is a poetics and it can do things in a really interesting way. Yeah, that, that makes it a universal form. In France, in particular, it was able to put minorities on stage, make them visible in a way that they really weren't in other art forms and even in dramatic theater, where there were very few roles for minority actors and actresses. Mm-hmm. And yet it really goes beyond those individual differences in that gestural, that poetic language that is dance. So if I ask you, Felicia, you know, is this a book about race uh, primarily? Would, would you say that it is? It's one of the factors in the hip hop movement in France. If you say le hip hop, mm-hmm. you really mean urban dance and you mean art made by minorities and by people who are associated with the banlieue. Mm-hmm. So whether or not the most well-known hip hop dancers grew up in a cité, in a banlieue, um, you know, that's not so much the question. It is a milieu absolutely thought of as minority art. And in my own experience, I would say, yeah, when you're in hip hop dance classes, when you're with hip hop dance companies, you see a a majority of uh, people of Maghrebian descent, people from North Africa, families maybe who have been in France for several generations, or people representing a kind of post-colonial, you know, immigrating from the former colonies into France, you really do see visible minorities. And and that is associated with hip hop. Whether or not um, it's described in those terms in France, I mean, that is an issue in the book. We talk about race openly in the U.S. um, for good reasons. And in France, it's really not talked about. And there's a lot of difficulty surrounding it. There isn't a clear discourse about race in France. And it was a big shock in January 2015 when the prime minister, you know, used the word apartheid to describe discrimination, Mm -hmm. class differences, race-based differences, gender-based differences in France. So they're coming to terms with it now. Mm-hmm. You have this uh, really interesting moment in the, in the introduction to the book, uh, Felicia, where you, you say that in France, le hip-hop has not been about you know, gangs and guns, that it refers to U.S. culture without reproducing it in any simple way. And so I wanted to ask you to say a little bit more about that, the relationship between what happens in France and, and that importation of American culture. I don't want to say that I don't appreciate American hip hop and that French hip hop is the best. I mean, this is a point that I make in the book. But in France, there is a kind of acknowledgement that global forms are often American forms and that they represent a kind of cultural hegemony. Um, When the cultural agent says dance was protected from that in France, the idea is that France gave dancers, choreographers options to make their own work and to talk about their own experience coming from underserved communities, coming from the suburbs, you know, not graduating with diplomas and not coming from conservatory. So it's not that it's better. It's not that it's, it turned out better in France, but I think there's a lesson to be learned. France has really admired uh, African-American culture, valued it, valorized it, oftentimes, sometimes before we did in the States. And it was able to take that form and put some time and money into it and develop it into something that is really recognizable worldwide as a French form, uh, a concert dance form that speaks about minority experience. It's really important uh, success. So the book is about the distinct development of this form in France, but you also say at some point that the French in the title Um, is meant to be provocative. Could you say a little bit more about what you mean by that? Well, especially now, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, even since the book came out, um, we really are seeing a lot of questioning about what is French. When I started doing this research around the year 2000, 2001, I would sit in roundtables and various kinds of events, and I would hear people representing, um, you know, artists, minority artists, artists from the suburbs, social um, workers and, you know, educator people working with youth in the suburbs. And they were 
really demanding, um, you know, funding for arts projects. And I found this very strange, but I came to understand how important it was for them. Um, that it's a way of being French. Dance has a civic status in France. Being a dance artist means joining a history, a tradition, and a very respected métier, right? It's, a, it's considered to be a form of work. In fact, um, hip-hop dancers, once they'd had a legitimate gig, could be eligible for unemployment insurance. Mm. It was taken very seriously, and this is extremely important uh, to artists. So this Frenchness is, uh, yeah, it's about ethnic uh, questions. Majority of the dancers come from families that are described as issues de l'immigration, right? F families coming mm -hmm. out of immigration. And a lot of them are coming from really, um, you know, underserved communities. So right now what we're seeing is a much more open questioning about how these minorities fit into France, how little attention has been paid to them, how they haven't had equal opportunity. And this is something that France is starting to debate now. There's starting to be a discourse about it. But my argument in the book is that hip hop did it first mm -hmm. in a non-threatening way with a dance language, with dance performance that really called attention to these minority communities. You move, uh, I mean, even in this conversation already, we have, you move between sort of historical discussions and the contemporary uh, context uh, quite a bit. And, you know, the book opens with uh, the 1980s and the introduction, the arrival of hip hop um, in France in that period. And later on, you refer to um, the election of Francois Hollande in, in 2012. And the events of 2005 are an important uh, marker in the book that you come back to uh, a number of times and you, you have this, um, this sort of uh, turn of phrase, the rage in the form. And I just wondered if you could say a little bit about the timeline of the book and what some of the key moments are uh, that you think of as turning points. And in particular, this, this moment of 2005 and how it fits into the story of dance that you're, that you're exploring in the book. Well, before 2005, when I started the work, um, the situation was very good for hip-hop. There was a, actually a, a, a real fan of the hip-hop world who worked in the Ministry of Culture, who my colleagues, sociologists, referred to as Monsieur Hip-Hop, right? <laughs> he was the guy who was handing out the funding. And lots of young uh, dancers were forming companies. They were learning to make dance pieces. There were festivals that were programming them. It was a very good time. And as I mentioned, I would sit in really um, sometimes very intellectual roundtables that always included social workers or people working with youth in the suburb as well as artists. Um, and really, there was a, a very clear message being sent that these people and these communities needed attention and they needed forms of expression and hip hop was a very um, positive one for lots of youth. And then in 2005, they, you know, became very clear that a lot of these communities had been left um, to, to fall, you know, into, um, you know, poverty and neglect mm -hmm. and uh, really, you know, much higher rates of unemployment and this kind of thing. So what I had seen before is sort of complaining about not having arts funding. I began to see it was really something much deeper and that hip hop was like a kind of an indication, right, of what was happening and, and where these communities were going. Now, we've seen this again. We, we see it uh, in, in we saw it in 2015 in January. Um, I'm sure like. Like many of us, you know, you were watching your television mm -hmm. or your internet, French TV, and you were seeing reports on not just the attackers, but, you know, the, the lure of jihad and all that. And in one of the reports that we saw repeatedly, we saw a, a young, um, one of the attackers coming up in the hip hop world, right? Not as a dancer, but as a rapper, but surrounded by dancers and a video mm -hmm. loop that played over and over and over again. 
So there's a kind of a slide, not so subtle, between thinking about minorities in the suburbs and who are interested in popular culture or popular forms like hip hop. And then sort of these same populations now are being identified as those who are maybe uh, interested in jihad or they're mm-hmm. among those who are leaving to go to the Middle East. So, you know, there's a, a lot of racism here. There's a lot of concern about these youths in the suburbs. And um, it's sort of like another step from, you know, forward, backward, really, from 2005. Now, in the book, I see 2012 as a kind of a very positive moment because François Hollande identified these youths as, you know, among the really most important sector of the Mm -hmm. voting um, population. And he really said that he wanted to dedicate his term is his, you know, term as president to them and to justice, to a kind of social justice for them. This was really radical language. Mm -hmm. And I think he identified, you know, he, he knew that this really was a a problem space. Now, whether anything has been done about it is not a, a matter for the book, but very much, it's very much of interest to me going forward. And what is the role that hip hop can play, can continue to play um, in these populations. So, Felicia, there are these key moments uh, that you that you touch on in the book and, and, and this history that you explore. And there are also all of these different actors that you're looking at um, in the book, the state, uh, the dance community. Where would you say the focus of the book lies? Um, and maybe there's several points. Um, is it with um, dancers, uh, what's your interest in spectators and how all of this is being received, um, or the state, where, where do you think the, the emphasis is in the, in the book? Well, my job was to follow the dancers really, mm-hmm. and to look at the choreographies. That was how I started. Um, lots of people are interested in France in studying the sociology and the, you know, the economic issues mm-hmm. surrounding these hip hop communities. But I was um, sent to, you know, sort of study the dance mm-hmm. and look at the moves uh, themselves. And I really enjoyed that. I mean, the teachers embraced me um, when they found out I was American. They really said this form comes from there. Mm-hmm. And um, I was able to bring my, um, my previous work, my previous research on the importance of dance in France, the centrality um, you know, and the kind of political profile that it has. I was able to bring all that to bear in this work. But I did also really feel that it's important to show not the separateness of these various communities or structures, dispositifs, but to show how linked they are. Um, you can be a dancer in France and it's not considered to be a frivolous, you know, uh, pastime. Um, there are hip hop um, neighborhood associations, NGOs, basically, that um, say that you know they're going to help um, citizens. They're going to help people become citizens. Um, you know, register people to vote, um, help migrants adjust to their communities. It's a really deep political mm-hmm. um, function. Would you say that the story of Le Hip Hop in France is primarily a, well, maybe not just a Parisian one, but an urban one? I mean, you talk about the local and the regional and the, uh, regional and the national um, in the book. And I'm just wondering how much of what you explore in the book is focused around Paris. Yeah, it's a Parisian story, no question. And I think that's because, as I mentioned before, Paris is a dance capital, mm-hmm. right? All forms of dance can be seen there. And the hip hoppers themselves, maybe they're self-trained. They came up just dancing in a shopping mall or in a train station lobby. Mm -hmm. But they've often also done other kinds of dancing. They know about capoeira or they know about tap dance or, um, you know, they've seen Bharatanatyam, they've seen Indian dance or whatever. So that's really important. But it's important also not to ignore the regional story here, which I really don't tell in the book. 
There are these um, regional funding bodies, the DRAC, the cultural um, uh, um, institutions in the regions. Um, one of the first places to learn about taking a hip hop dance class was the mairie or the town hall of your local community. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it really had a social function from the beginning and um, at the local level, at the regional level. And of course, in big cities, Lyon was actually one of the first to have a really well-known choreographic hip hop dance company. And that was company Kafig that was led by Murad Mirzouki. He now runs one of the CCN, the National Choreographic Centers um, in Crete, Val-de-Marne. So there is absolutely a local story and a regional story to be told here. But the one that I'm telling is really the red belt of Paris, mm-hmm. right? The communist suburbs, historically communist. Yeah. So the first part of the book, Felicia, focuses on um, the book's divided into two parts. So the first is politics and poetics. So I wanted to ask you to just say a little bit more about that term poetics and what that means and how that's working for you um, in the book. And then, yeah, to talk a little bit about uh, the way that hip hop is connected in this first part of the book to issues of, of, uh, of citizenship um, and political culture um, in this period of the 1980s when it arrives in France. Right. So, you know, I use the word poetics to nuance what happened in France where there really isn't a discourse about race um, and about minorities, or there hasn't been really until now. Um, In the U.S., we talk about identity politics where um, we think it's important for people to have a lobby group, if you like, to belong to a community. And this is also because we institutionalize segregation, so we have to respond to that, right, mm. with equal opportunity. But in France, there hasn't really been an acknowledgement of unequal opportunity. And so uh, I argue that what happens in hip-hop dance is an identity poetics. Dancers on stage are calling attention to their minority status, right? They're visible as minorities on stage. But because dancing... Uh, lets you get past who you are and you don't so much play a role as you sort of use your body to go beyond what bodies normally do, right? It's really a poetic form. And so I argue that, you know, maybe in the U.S. we would talk about identity politics like in in Jesse Jackson's term, you know, um, I am somebody, right? Empowering Mm -hmm. inner city children, But in France, the the dancing works almost to allow the dancers to say, I can be anybody, right? I can take the stage. I can become an artist. I can be someone other than, uh, you know, maybe the person I'm pigeonholed as being because of my race, because of my class, even because of my gender. So um, when I first started looking at hip-hop choreographies in France around the year 2000, it was really a moment where an earlier tendency of making dance pieces about the neighborhood or dancers would be dancing something about themselves, if you like. Um, It was kind of being taken over by a new trend in choreography where uh, choreographers were making pieces about something else, allowing their dancers to be other than they were and to talk about something other than their own situation. Mm. And that's really the the political power, if you like, of this dance form. You make the point that le hip-hop is French because of public funding um, and that this, in this section of the book where you're talking about how uh, French culture absorbs rather than is just um, imposed upon by an American uh, cultural form. You talk about the significance of of uh, this dance form to the state and to its political program, its cultural political program in this period, identifying uh, le hop with socialism in particular. Could you say a little bit more about that? Well, historically, hip hop was a socialist project in France. And maybe for the reasons that I've just given, you can see why, mm-hmm. right? Socialist 
Uh, in particular, you know, Mitterrand's first term and his cultural minister, Jack Lang, they were interested in art that spoke about the experience of minorities or underserved populations, spoke about the banlieue, etc. Now, some people might say that this dance form then has been pigeonholed into kind of serving that position. But I think the argument by those who supported hip hop, um, the argument that they would make is that it allowed people to become artists, to become performers, and it is a civic status. Um, and that this is something that wasn't necessarily in the cards for them, um, you know, in terms of their normal uh, work expectation or career expectation. Um, you can see how that's a socialist-driven uh, idea. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't say it's social realism or socialist realism, um, but I would say that um, the the form has never given up this this kind of drive, right, these roots in the banlieue. And it's unapologetic, right, about being a minority form or a banlieue form, even though it has become, I would say, quite chic in certain contexts. Mm. French hip-hoppers were invited to dance in New York. Um, the French embassy, the cultural services invited them to come. Uh, groups go on tour all the time, right? So there is a kind of, it has become, if you like, a kind of high art or a kind of accepted, um, you know, concert dance form. But it's never giving up this kind of what the French would call social, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, A a social base that is linked to, um, you know, to working class and to the suburbs. You return a, a, a number of times throughout the book, but especially in that second chapter, you focus on this notion of hip hop. Um, learning to speak French. And we talked about language a, a little bit earlier. Um, could you say a little bit more about what, what you mean by that, the speaking French and how hip hop learns to, uh, to speak French literally and uh, metaphorically? Well, this form of dance is really recognized all around the world as French. I mean, even the Belgians, the, the Francophone Belgians point to this form of le hip hop and they say French, right? Mm. So um, this is kind of carrying over from your previous question, but the the funding, uh, you know, made it possible and it also made it identifiable as a French form. Now, it has been influential, of course, around the globe in French-speaking countries who are tuned into what, what goes on in French culture. I did see uh, a French... TV program on a, um, um, a company in Laos, actually, whose you can tell their hip hop is modeled on French hip hop, right? Mm. But the difference in Laos is that the dancers are children of the elite, right? And this is not the case in France. I would say that hip hop speaks French in the sense that although we usually talk about forms of dance by putting on the suffix graph, right? Choreography. Mm. Um, I, I make the argument in the book that this is a Francophone form, um, something like we talk about Francophone literature because it's about minority, sometimes post-colonial Francophone populations within France. Um, and that we tend to think about those communities in ter- in the UK and in the US under this label of Francophone or Francophone studies. Mm-hmm. So I'm very much inspired by that approach, even though the work that I'm looking at is choreographic work. You also, Felicia, talk about hip-hop as a, as a form of post-colonial representation, and I know that that's a huge field in, of discussion. But um, in the third chapter in the book, you talk about post-colonialism in particular and um, and the work of uh, Farid uh, Berki. Could you tell us a little bit about about Farid Barki and how he fits into this story. Yeah, so Farid is is one example of uh, really um, amazing, um, you know, self-taught dancer coming up in a family of Maghrebian origin and practicing in, you know, public spaces and then really becoming a professional dancer and becoming a professional choreographer. And he's made several pieces that reflect not only on his own status or, you know, the status of Maghrebian 
minorities in France, but really looking at larger questions of colonial history and conquest and then contemporary issues of migration um, in Europe in general. Um, his pieces show that he's thinking about these questions not just concerning his own situation or that of his milieu, but he's really thinking in a, in a global way, if you like, about these questions of colonialism, post-colonialism, and then migration now, um, you know, across the globe. The second part of the book, Felicia, focuses on techniques and technologies. Um, and you're really looking in this part of the book at choreographies that sort of exploring identity through technology and with technology. Um, what are the technologies that you're, that you're engaged with in that part of the book? Well, as I mentioned, hip hop came to France via video and mm-hmm. television. And of course, you know, then eventually the internet. Um, and it's, it's technology has played an important role uh, in the form, although in its roots maybe, or in its kind of nostalgia um, you know, people think about record players and DJing and, you know, more low tech. Um, mm-hmm. But one of the dancers that I write about whose, whose work really interests me in this vein is Yifun Chem, mm-hmm. who represents um, uh, a Cambodian community in diaspora. And she actually, um, her family left Cambodia and she grew up in Brussels dancing the traditional um Cambodian dance forms and then seeing some break dancers when she was 17 or 18 and then becoming passionate about break dance and becoming an extraordinary breaker in her own right. Um, and in the chapter on her amazing solo piece, Apsara, I talk about the fact that French television um, had filmed these Cambodian, the Cambodian classical dance forms, the Royal Ballet, if you like, of Cambodia. Mm-hmm. And it was because of that um, video that had preserved the choreography that after the, um, the, the genocide, um, when many, many dancers were killed and choreographers, uh, cultural actors uh, in general, um, some of the pieces were able to be restored and to be reconstructed um, through television, right? So um, the, 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 we don't think about dance so much as being linked intimately to technology, but it, it is um, technologies have allowed dance a second life, if you like, and a global life in many instances. I was really intrigued by that the moment in the book when you talk about the relationship between dance and technology and this issue of authenticity. And I think at some point you you say something about how dance kind of um, precedes as as a technique um, precedes the kinds of technologies that people often see in opposition to dance. So I was I was curious to ask you about that. If you have more to say about that, well, in all my work, I'm setting up the poesis of dance, if you like, the poetics and the techne, the technology together, mm-hmm. right? Dance does both. And in the book, I do um, talk about dance as a technique, right? It is mm-hmm. a discipline. It's a form. And it's even a form of knowledge, if you like. Um, the stage was set, I argue, for a, a very serious appreciation of dance technique as a form of bodily knowledge, in the work of really mainstream um, um, thinkers, you know, uh, I cite Bourdieu, I cite Certeau, I even actually begin with uh, Loi Gourand. Mm-hmm. So there are, there was a tradition of texts that were being widely read and taught um, that kind of privilege, if you like, bodily, body techniques, bodily knowledge. Uh, practices, of course, corporeal practices, and that this kind of led the way, I think, prepared the terrain for, um, you know, this continued importance of dance as a civic form, as a public form, as a serious form in France. Um, Yeah, I also do talk about technology because hip hop is strangely both low tech and high tech and uh, even though it's associated with the suburbs, um, its authenticity did not depend on low tech nostalgia for low tech times. Um, hip hoppers were able to use and develop 
technologies, both in making music, creating music for their pieces, and um, uh, managing their own companies, um, and um, you know, showing moves and learning moves on the internet, mm-hmm. and now using digital forms of production on the stage. You also talk about this relationship between uh, live and recorded performance. Could you say a little bit more about that? Performance is a live form, and we theorize it in those terms. But dancing now is getting really interested in the technologies, right, the Mm -hmm. the performance technologies. And we've seen that. I saw that in 2015, this January, Muhad Mirzuki's new piece, uses a digital environment projected onto the stage Mm. um, and allows the dancers to play in it, to shape it, to be shaped by it. And somehow this high-tech culture is not seen as being at odds with the roots, the authenticity um, of hip-hop in France. Um, They really work together in this form. And it's a sign, I think, of the form's flexibility of this new generation coming up. Um, There was certainly a moment when the suburbs were abandoned, if you like, in terms of technological development. They got left out. They got left behind. Um, And one could argue that this is still the case. Um, But I think there have been really significant changes in France that were brought about by technology. One of them um, that really strikes me is that the younger generations of French uh, people move differently and, mm-hmm. um, you know, move through space differently. And I think you see it in Jean-Pierre Tant's film, the this first film about hip-hop that he made in 1996, Faire kiffer les anges. Um, you see these generational changes, right, that come from technology. Mm-hmm. But um, to, to, to go back to your question... I do think that forms like le hip-hop can also lead thinking, influence thinking about bodies, bodily identity. And sometimes they can introduce uh, an idea or a discourse before it gets to public uh, discussion or before it becomes a widely used technology. That's really fascinating. You know, to come back to the to the discussion that you brought up, the Kim, uh, yeah, Yifun Chem, Yifun Chem. Um, in that chapter where you're talking about Yifun Chem, you're also talking about Ellen Sixu and this sort of theater practice of these women and looking at exploring that relationship between dance and language and exile. So that chapter in particular made me want to ask you about the role of gender in this culture of le hip-hop in in France and what you might have to say about that more generally. Gender is important. And I do follow a couple of uh, women dancers Mm -hmm. and choreographers in the book. Um, The the majority of hip-hop is male. And, um, you know, it's thought of even as a male form, and which makes... The, um, the presence of these women, I think, all the more impressive um, on the scene. Um, in Yifun's case, um, I write about this extraordinary piece, um, solo piece, Apsara, mm-hmm. because um, I, I really, I saw it in Paris and I saw it something like 25 years after having seen Sixu's play about Cambodia and um, the, this, this terrible history, the terrible unfinished history of Norodum Sihanouk. Um, many of us n- know the play, teach the play. Um, and it, the, in the very last scene, Sixu has um, members of the royal family send the, um, the Cambodians out into the diaspora um, you know, with the injunction that they should speak the Khmer language and that they should dance the, the, the classical forms. And this is, of course, what uh, Yifun did. So in a way, I see her um, merging um, Cambodian traditional dance with breakdance as a real response to this historical moment. Now, in Apsara, she actually refers to the genocide and she actually uh, stages a scene about it, and it's the most moving thing you can mm-hmm. imagine. 
Um, and to introduce this, you know, unbelievably heavy, difficult material, she, she walks forward, um, to the, to the audience and she says, hello, you know, my name is Yifun. I'm going to tell you my story. But then she, uh, dances the next section. There are no words. And she's very much commenting on the fact that this kind of violence, the genocide, you know, is, 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 is beyond, um, you know, in a way, uh, beyond discourse and really hasn't yet been subject to public discourse. Only now are the trials underway, both in Cambodia and um, in The Hague at the mm-hmm. International Tribunal. So um, she's using dance to, to, to touch on this very, very sore point of history and to, to bring it into discussion. Um, it's such a powerful uh, piece. Mm-hmm. And then in the scene that follows that incredible scene, she gives us a bit of comic relief and she kind of makes the transition over from the, the Cambodian classical dance language into the hip hop language. She changes costume. She puts on a kind of a male breaker break dance outfit. She puts the baseball cap on backwards and she pretends she's looking in a mirror practicing her breakdance moves. And you can see it's, a, in a way, a chronicle of her own life, right? Coming out of Cambodian culture mm-hmm. and coming out of the traditional dance forms and then encountering hip-hop and then using hip-hop as a way to integrate into her culture in Europe, into her society, her new life in Europe. It's marvelous. It's absolutely marvelous work. I found your discussion of um, of her work in particular really really moving and 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 fascinating and uh, you know throughout the book I wanted to see so many of these performances and I did a little bit of YouTube um, searching for different things right. so I could actually see some of what I mean there are these great stills in the book that provide uh, you know kind of image of what of some of the things that you're talking about but yeah to see this this uh, this work in movement is obviously uh, a whole other other story. The last chapter of, of the book, Felicia, talks about, um, explores these theories of culture that, that you argue, you know, made it possible for the French state to value hip hop as, as an art form, um, to think of it as something that should be taught, um, and, and, uh, gave it such an important place and have given it such an important place in French popular culture. Could you give some examples, um, draw, sort of, uh, give us a few examples of, the kinds of theories that you're talking about uh, in, in that last part of the book and, and indeed, you know, the, the sort of theoretical uh, frames that, that were most useful to you in writing the book. Well, really, as with my previous books, um, I think every, every case of dance history is different and you mm-hmm. have to look at what's going on in the historical moment. And of course, you know, what leads up to it. So I'm not sure that I really had a structure Um I really relied a lot on French studies, you know, work on Francophone, mm-hmm. literature and culture, culture theory, of course. Um, but what was most important, I think, intellectually was how to explain why dance, which is really seen as a form of entertainment in the U.S. and often, you know, low on the totem pole, right, as some um, critics have pointed out in terms of intellectual mm-hmm. um, uh, work, why, how could dance be so important in France? There is mm-hmm. a recent publication coming out of the Paris uh, Opéra, some dance historians, and they actually labeled their their volume, you know, 300 years of supremacy, right, in dance. So there is a kind of cultural hegemony there. Um, but I wanted to try to explain that to English, uh, English reader, English-speaking, an English-speaking audience, that sees a very different kind of hip hop and that doesn't really know the situation in France. So I did uh, deploy, you know, a lot of um, s- some of the work that, that is well known, De Certeau, thinking about how we navigate urban space and, mm-hmm. um, you know, Bourdieu, thinking about um, ways that the body knows things, um, you know, bodily practices. And really seeing these these texts and this work as kind of foundational for an intellectual appreciation, if mm-hmm. you like, of hip hop. And I, as I mentioned, I started with uh, André Lois Gourand because um, in this, you know, very beautiful uh, two volume work, 
gesture and, and word, le geste et la parole. He speaks, uh, uh, you know, he, he's of course a paleontologist and he's speaking about, um, you know, prehistory, but with mm-hmm. such incredible lucidity. And he really doesn't see, um, uh, you know, gesture and technology or, you know, uh, word and, and tool use as being separate, but as linked through a kind of rhythmic practice, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I, I actually um, find his argument useful, but I'm also emphasizing that it was the, the, the centrality of this kind of work in France. People in lots of different fields were thinking in this way about culture, right? Mm-hmm. And they were thinking about rhythmic uh, gestures or about walking or movement practices or about bodily knowledge as very important, right? And so that helps to explain maybe the intellectual centrality of dance Mm -hmm. in France. You conclude the book, Felicia, with this really fascinating discussion of the the issue and the problem of circulation, um, especially in the contemporary kind of global context. And I I wanted to ask you to, to say a little bit more about what you think about, what you think is the specificity of dance within conversations that we might have about the circulation of goods, people, um, ideas, culture, what makes dance uh, unique when we're talking about some of those things. Right. We do try, you know, in dance studies to think about the particularity of dance and and how it works. Um, and I, I hope I've sketched that out by thinking about it as a poetics. Mm-hmm. It's wordless and yet it can really speak to certain lacunae in public discourse. It can influence thinking. It's visible, but it's not only visual. You know, there's lots of nuances there. Mm-hmm. Um, I do argue that, um, you know, that we, we know there's circulation of forms. We see it every day and dance w- was probably one of the first global forms because we know that forms circulated around the world, um, you know, long before there was an internet uh, you, you know, to watch YouTube. But uh, I, I do think that in this particular case, we're seeing an intervention in France that was very precise, very punctual, if you like, in the French sense, um, you know, um, um, very particular to France. And uh, it produced something that I think is quite wonderful. And when I'm Praising French hip hop, it's not at the detriment of American culture, not at all. Mm-hmm. I'm just showing that our culture uh, can circulate and take different forms in different places and speak about um, maybe similar experiences, but it can speak about them somewhat differently. So I think that French dancers are gesturing toward uh, African American culture and they are inspired by it. Um, and they're trying to say something about their situation in France uh, through that reference to uh, African-American culture. In a way, I think Aimé Césaire would be one precedent right, mm. in, in French culture, um, thinking about Black American culture um, as a model, as a precedent, and as an inspiration. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, um, because there isn't a discourse about race and there really isn't, uh, you know, um, equal opportunity there, they had to go about it in a different way. And even raising the question, the question of race in France or raising the question of, um, unequal opportunity ha- has been a, a, a struggle in mm-hmm. France. And so using dance to do that, referring to a global form but also really making it their own and adapting it to um, their own particular uh, aesthetic and to their own particular national circumstance has been really uh, important. I find the form so vibrant, you know, in a way it's against the modernism that I grew up with in dance and, and that I learned. Um, and yet it, 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 it inspires me. It drives me every time um, and I'm I'm part of a, a a large group of people who appreciate this dance form. I was in January at one of the major hip hop festivals, and the the auditorium was full on a weeknight mm. with older people, with younger people, with guys in suits and ties who had come from work, 
um, you know, with uh, people who represented subcultures, you know, a, a really broad audience mm-hmm. um, for, for hip hop in France. It's promoting really positive thinking about, um, you know, what can, what can be done. And I think in that way, um, it hasn't so much locked into the glam or the violence or, um, you know, some of the, the, uh, the, the global um, hip-hop um, um, characteristics, right? It's really mm-hmm. kind of staked its own terrain. Well, I want to end, Felicia, by asking you two questions about the future. So one, to the extent that, you know, you're willing to explore this with me, where do you think the world of French hip-hop, the hip-hop, is headed? Um, and then the second part of the question, which is more about you and your work, um, you know, what's next for you in terms of your scholarship? Well, January 2015 was another marker, right? Mm-hmm. Just like 2005. And a lot of people said that, um, you know, clearly, once again, whatever policies have been in place in the suburbs, they have failed. So it, it is a moment where we could step back and say, well, you know, hip hop, it was a great project, but it really didn't work. We still have lots of problems in the suburbs. <clears throat> we have people feeling, um, you know, left left behind. Um, I, I don't see it that way. What I saw in France, in Paris in January was a very vibrant hip hop that um, has not lost its connection to the suburbs um, but that is still working to kind of negotiate that, right? To bring people up onto the stage, into artistry, into performance, um, and maybe to bring attention to f- particular problems for visible minorities, um, but to do it in a way that is not a, you know, um, a, 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 a series of, of complaints or of blame mm-hmm. or of attacks, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't know, you know, really what the future holds. I, I do still see hip hop being produced in France uh, in a very vibrant way. I see young people who are coming up doing it and who want to do it on the biggest stage they can find. And I continue to see pedagogical projects, right, where it's being used in, uh, in schools for disadvantaged children. It's being used in um, civic practices, in community groups, in public performances. Um, and it's just emphasizing, once again, the importance of culture in France and trying to navigate that divide between the underserved populations and the big stage. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I personally am going to continue to work on this because I'm really interested in where it goes from here. And I did just write a piece about what I saw in January mm-hmm. that was commissioned by the cultural services in New York um, the, of the French embassy. So right. in, a, in, a, in a volume that's talking about contemporary dance in France, modern dance, um, they wanted to include a piece about hip hop and what's happening, you know, right now. Mm-hmm. So I, I did um, write about Muhad Miyazuki's new piece, Pixel, in that uh, for that volume. Um, I'm I'm continuing to be interested. I follow in particular these um, the female dancers mm-hmm. who um, we talked about earlier. Um, both of the women um, choreographers I feature in my book, Yifun Chem and also Stephanie Nataf, they are continuing to make work. They both have children now and they continue to, to perform. Uh, I find that really incredible. Um, and I'm just really interested in seeing what kinds of work they're doing and how they're doing it. Mm. Again, emphasis on the pedagogy. They are thinking about youth. You know, they also have children but they're thinking about youth in general and they're thinking about the way that this form um, serves as a kind of, a, if you like, uh, Stephanie Nataf calls it social medicine, right? Mm. Uh, she says dance saved her life, really has an important social role to play. So I'm, I'm super interested in, in, in following them. Um, and then in my own work, I do have some some history projects that I'm going to return to, but working on living dancers and young people 
um, has just been incredible. And the best part of it is that they say to me that it makes a difference, right? When I hand them a copy of the book, they, they say what a difference it makes. And wow. that's an incredible, you know, experience for an author to have. Sure. Well, it sounds really gratifying. Felicia, I just want to thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Roxanne. You, you ask the best questions. 